This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Good morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. A very different edition of Sunday Morning. Different for you, and certainly very different for me. As I told you a few weeks ago, today is my last day as host of Sunday Morning. Turns out there truly is a time to every purpose under heaven, as the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. And what really makes this Sunday Morning different is that instead of me telling you what our family of correspondents and contributors will be reporting, they, I'm told, are going to be reporting on me. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to say, but I believe my friend and colleague Rita Braver does. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Charlie. That's right. This morning, all you have to do is relax and watch TV because we're having a celebration of Charles Osgood. Good morning, this is Charles Osgood, News Radio 88. We begin at the beginning. Charlie has had one of the most memorable careers in broadcast journalism. Time's running out to get the hostage crisis. Almost 50 years at CBS. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. 22 here at Sunday Morning. It's a broadcaster's dream. Looking back, which I now can do, uh, it, it all worked out pretty well. Our Sunday mornings are filled with such things. Coming up, Charles Osgood on the air. I'm Anthony Mason. Here's another side to Charles' story. Did you know he had a top 40 hit? What did you think as this thing started climbing the charts? Well, I was delighted. <laughs> well, it was quite unexpected. We'll tell you about Charlie, the music man, later on Sunday morning. I'm Martha Teichner. What rhymes with understood? Osgood, of course. It's understood that Charlie knows a thing or two about rhyming. There once was a pretty young lass who held from the Bay State of Mass. She stepped into the bay on a fine summer day, and the water right up to her knees. 
That's called poetic license. It requires a very wry sense. This Sunday morning, Charlie's will be on display. I'm Mo Rocca, and we all know how Charlie loves to tie one on. I think you're great, but you without a bow tie is a little bit of a letdown. It's not what you expected. People say, you know, I can't get away with wearing a bow tie. I didn't know it was against the law. The natty neckwear of that sartorial sultan, Charles Osgood, ahead this Sunday morning. I'm Lee Cowan. Remember all those summer Sundays when Charlie was nowhere to be found? Well, we found him here on the French Riviera. Do you have a routine here? There are a couple of naps involved. There's one, one nap usually after lunch, <laughs> and, and that lasts right up until cocktail time. So the day sort of slips away. <laughs> You're invited later on Sunday morning. And there's much more besides, or so they tell me, on this special edition of Sunday Morning. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. I'm Tracy Smith. As we've told you, this Sunday morning is all about Charlie, and all of his friends and colleagues are here to do the honors. To start us off, I'm presuming to take over one of Charlie's weekly duties by introducing a special page from our Sunday morning almanac. January 8th, 1933. 83 years, eight months, and 17 days ago today, the day Charles Osgood Wood was born in New York City. He was joined just shy of a year later by his baby sister, Mary Ann, and together they shared a childhood of simple pleasures. Summers meant happy times at their grandparents' home in Massachusetts, where they whiled away the long days fishing and flying kites. Back in New York, Charlie and Mary Ann shared a room in a small rental apartment, and Charlie began his school days at Our Lady of Refuge in the Bronx. That all changed in 1942, when Charlie's father, a textile salesman, was transferred from New York to Baltimore. In Baltimore, Charlie and his sister Mary Ann welcomed a much younger brother, Ken, and they experienced a unique period in our history. Who better to tell that part of Charlie's journey than Charlie himself, as he did right here on Sunday morning a few years ago. You leave the Pennsylvania station about a quarter to four. Read a magazine and then you're in Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland, birthplace of the great Babe Ruth and of the Star Spangled Banner. Edgar Allan Poe lived here, and so did this young man, Charles Osgood Wood. The year was 1942. I was nine years old. Like many nine-year-old boys, I was in love with baseball and radio and the world around me. Lucky Strike Green has gone to war. What a world it was back then, a world at war, a world of rationing and air raid drills and victory gardens all of which seemed wonderfully romantic to a nine-year-old boy dreaming of the universe beyond Baltimore. Here's mail call, selected by fighting men. As I can still see that boy in my mind's eye, blissfully happy in that terrible time, as only a nine-year-old can be. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor by air. On January 2nd, a few days before I turned nine, the Japanese took Manila, and sadly I had to pin a tiny Japanese flag to the big map I had tacked to my bedroom wall. Army, Navy, and Marine planes surprise a Jap invasion force. It would be June 4th, the date of America's great victory in the Battle of Midway, before I could happily pin up an American flag. Did I mention that I loved baseball? The Orioles then were not the Orioles of today. In those days, they were a struggling triple-A team that often played double-A ball. I loved them anyway, especially when my father would take me out to the ballpark to see the games. Keep smiling through 
In Baltimore in 1942, there were white wooden houses with big front porches and grand white stoops, many of them still standing, along with the Bromo Seltzer Tower. It looked Italian with a distinctly American twist. In those days, there was a 40-foot-tall Bromo Seltzer bottle on top of the tower. In Manhattan, a college boy would meet his date under the Biltmore clock. In Baltimore, they'd meet under the Fizz. In 1942, milk was delivered in bottles. The mail was delivered twice a day. And that boy named Charlie Wood had a paper route. When I was delivering the Baltimore Sun, you'd have a stack of them held together by a strap. Pull one out as you approach the customer. Fold it into the throwing position. And this is where accuracy in journalism really comes in. Try not to get it in the bushes or on the roof. That's about right. My best boyhood pal was a girl, my slightly younger sister, Mary Ann, who followed the Orioles and the war and loved radio just as much as I did. Well, these street lights up and down here. Yes, were, were gas, gas lights. lights. Yes, they were. On an April day, as misty as my boyhood memories, Mary Ann and I visited our old house on Edgewood Road. I don't think we had one of those uh, d dishes on the roof. No, <laughs> no, few. we didn't. Got good just... radio signals, though. <laughs> Very good radio. <laughs> The FBI in peace. Radio was my window on the world, a, a world unto itself, a world more fantastic and more real than the world I saw every day in Baltimore. A fiery horse for the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver. The Lone Ranger. Is there anything that you haven't got your finger in? Yes, a wedding ring. A wedding ring. <laughs> and Edgar Bergen, the only ventriloquist ever to succeed on radio. Shadow knows. <laughs> I even knew what the shadow looked like. And he was invisible. American radio of the 1940s had a profound influence on me. It's the reason I'm doing what I do today instead of playing the organ at a skating rink. I could imagine no career more delightful, except perhaps to play shortstop for the Orioles. That dream was a little unrealistic, though. I was afraid of ground balls. T-H-R-I-V-O, Thrivo Dog Food. In those golden days of radio, I never minded the intrusions of sponsors. The commercials were entertaining. Marianne and I both loved them. If you want a peppy pup, then you better hurry up. I travel for him. I took piano lessons at the Peabody Institute, an august institution that's still there in Baltimore, newly refurbished and busier than ever. Director Robert Sirota had a surprise for me. And we even actually have your report card. <laughs> Charles O. Wood, 3504 Edgewood Road. That was where, it says it. that you took four terms of piano satisfactorily. I'm just absolutely stunned that you still have a piece of paper with my name on it. I still remember the song I played at my recital, The Happy Farmer, which I almost didn't get to perform when they forgot to call my name. With someone like you. A pal, so good and true. In the evening, our family would gather around the piano at the house on Edgewood Road to sing our favorite songs. That was what families did in 1942, with the shades drawn and the lights dimmed in the midst of a terrible we'll war. Sweet For a few minutes, we'd let the rest of the world go by. And let the rest of the So long, Charlie. We're grateful for the memories. See you on the radio. Charlie, you provided the soundtrack to so many on Sunday mornings across this country. So thank you. I'll see you on the radio and we'll never be able to rock the bow tie like you. Charles, I have watched you and listened to you for years as a fan and even competed against you on a lot of Sunday mornings still as a fan. There is no finer broadcaster than you. And so I say with great respect and admiration, I'll see you on the radio. And standing along the side of a highway watching cars go by is your idea of a good time. You'll just love the Indianapolis 500. True, they do go by very fast here, as fast as 195 miles an hour on occasion this year. The 500 is the Woodstock of mid-America. Here in the infield, you'll find the kids enjoying the grass. More than one variety. The 500 reminds me of a definition I once heard of the life of an airline pilot. Hours of boredom 
punctuated by moments of sheer terror. I'm Rita Braver. Any story by Charles Osgood is one of a kind, as is the story of Charles Osgood and his long career on the air. Here it is right here. Nature's cooling system, the great American elm tree. Whether describing a national treasure or deploring the plight of the homeless. Being cold is not an abstraction, but a reality you can feel in your bones. And the only thing that matters is to escape from the cold. And now. You know what this is, of course. Charles Osgood says he wants us to take a closer look. Let's see if he's there. You rang? And maybe in some cases to be uh, angry or amused or, uh, or uh, sort of sh shake your head about the, this crazy world. And by the way, it is a crazy world. Which helps explain how an economics major at Fordham University in the Bronx. Were the call letters the same when you were here? Yes, they were. Ended up at the campus radio station. I spent more time here than I did in, in classrooms or doing homework. He started as a classical music DJ in Washington, D.C., but at some point you moved to become a news reporter. What was the inspiration for that? I could, I, there was a job that was available, and I, could, I, I knew how to get it. <laughs> His first big-time news job was at ABC. Good morning, this is Charles Osgood, News Radio 88. Then in 1967, he joined WCBS Radio in New York. Well, today, Mrs. Martin is the proud possessor of a plant that towers like Jack's beanstalk, looks like a tomato plant, and is nicknamed Fred. His distinctive style soon landed him a job at the CBS network. The Osgood file. This is Charles Osgood. And in 1971, he launched one of the longest-running features in radio history, what came to be known as the Osgood file. Edward R. Morrow sure knew how to use his voice on the radio. Several stories a day in two-minute segments that are surprisingly complex to craft. See you on the radio. I say that every week. A peculiar phrase some people think for anyone to speak. I've got a piece of mail or two up on my office shelf complaining that this sentence seems to contradict itself. Short words, short sentences, short paragraphs. There's nothing that can't be improved by making it shorter and better. When the idea of television was presented to you, was that exciting for you or foreboding? It scared me to death. <laughs> it just about scared me to death. Good evening. Time's running out to get the hostage crisis. In fact, he says, the first time he anchored a broadcast, he got some constructive criticism from the legendary Mike Wallace. He said, you looked like you had gone into the room to empty the wastebasket. And you looked up and you saw Walter Cronkite's chair. And so you say, oh, and you, you sat in the chair and you said to yourself, I hope nobody catches me doing this. Hope nobody's watching. But soon he realized. Good evening, I'm Charles Osgood. And he just needed to be himself on camera. It takes two to tango, but more than two to make for any kind of peace in the Middle East. It's important that the audience be comfortable, and they won't be if, you, if you're not comfortable. In 1994, Charles Osgood took over Sunday morning from the venerable Charles Kuralt. Good morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday morning. I know it sounds strange to me, too, but here we are. You've got to know that the audience came to not just accept you, but to really be very fond of you. What was that like as you started to realize that? Well, I think if you, if you do something every week and if you show up in their homes, then they get to know you. you know, they're not even surprised when you knock on the door and say, may I come in? <laughs> We have actors and artists, not just politicians. In the 22 years since, Charles Osgood has taken us to Cuba, explored American architectural landmarks, even served up Thanksgiving dinner. Sunday mornings are filled with such things. In the process, helping Sunday morning earn three recent Emmys for Outstanding Morning Program. 
Through it all, he's followed his own wise counsel. Before your working years are through, I hope whatever work you do makes you happy, makes you smile. You may be at it quite a while. (laughs) (laughs) The feeling is not half bad. So long, Charlie, but thank God your voice will continue to engage us. I did all that. We thank you for everything. And we'll see you on the radio. I grew up in the Sunday morning family watching you because I had to, because my dad was on the show. But then I fell in love watching you as a great broadcaster and even more than that, a great gentleman. Congratulations, Charlie, on a great run. We are going to miss you on Sunday morning, Charlie. You have set the gold standard for elegant civility and beautiful storytelling. See you on the radio, Charlie. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Say hello to Tilly, the shy but very gifted dog who has the art world rolling over in admiration. Although this particular chicken is under human restraint, more or less, free-range chickens answer to no man. They come and go as they wish. Sneakers here is a Canada goose. Member of a species that migrates to the northern United States and Canada every spring. Where there's a sheep, like little girl here, there is wool. The raw material for a storied American firm. There are Easter chicks and Easter eggs. And then there's the nest egg, cash people set aside to secure their future. I don't mean to sound vulgar, but a good rule to follow when you're playing the sport that Bill Geist tells us about this morning is literally to watch your ass. Good morning, I'm Serena Altschul. From his TV studio menagerie to the studios of great artists, Charles Osgood has always used his light touch to help his subjects look their best. Here are just two examples, Charlie's story on the underground artist who became a legend and his visit to a pair of painters in their prime. He stalks the New York City subways waiting for his chance to strike. When the opportunity comes, he moves fast. He has to. Opportunity for Keith Haring is a blank advertising poster. Using a piece of chalk, the young man from Kutztown, Pennsylvania, draws a picture, a cartoon-like drawing, which he finishes in a minute or two, and then moves on. He may do as many as 30 such drawings in a day, all different, but all the same in certain ways. He puts them down here so that millions can see them, and millions do. You don't have to know anything about art to appreciate it. There aren't any hidden secrets or things that you're supposed to understand. But he's got to be careful, because technically what he's doing is illegal graffiti. I'm going to arrest for graffiti in the subway. Herring doesn't think he is defacing anything. He believes it is art, and many subway riders seem to agree. But the law is the law. For Herring, the arrest is always short-lived, and it's worth the temporary humiliation for him because he wants ordinary people, subway riders, to see his stuff. Is it art? Well, upstairs, there doesn't seem to be any question about it. He's done murals like this one on the Bowery. And you'll often find Herring working on paintings that look for all the world like those subway drawings. This big one, for all its size, only took him a couple of hours to do. Here, too, he works fast. I I think it's more important to make a lot of different things and keep coming up with new images and things that were never made before than to do one thing and do it do it well. They come out fast, but, I mean, it's a fast world. And so fast has Keith Haring caught on in this fast world that now he has a one-man show at a gallery in Soho. Here are the same images, the cookie-cutter men, babies, hearts, dolphins, and spaceships. Only now it is the art world looking on. They think it's art, all right. Beautiful. I can't get over it. Mom. Thank you. Herring has become a hot property. They ooh and they ah. I want to buy a few of these little wooden things. And they pay plenty. $15,000 for that two-hour special we saw him working on. Not bad for a 24-year-old kid from Kutztown. But even though he now gets fancy prices for a lot of his work, still, every chance he gets, it's back down into the subway system looking furtively around to make sure the coast is clear, and then going to it. Art for the people. All for the price of a subway token. Call it a portrait of friendship.
two friends ambling through an art gallery. This is one of my favorites. Everett yes. Raymond Kinsler. But you know, as you say, there's always one little thing that he selects to focus. And Anthony Benedetto. The light coming oh, through beautiful. here, the shade there. Just beautiful. They were both born 77 years ago, two days apart. Both had gone to the same New York City high school. I probably passed him, knew his name, but it didn't, we, we didn't know each other. So I was not quite 16 when I quit and Tony finished. And then through some coincidences, we met about, it was about more than 15 years ago. And uh, that's the end of the story. But of course, that's not the end of the story because each of them went on to great things. Everett Raymond Kinsler left school to illustrate comic books like The Shadow. Today, he's one of our finest portrait painters. He has painted a virtual gallery of 20th century America. Five presidents have posed for him. His paintings of President Gerald Ford and President Ronald Reagan hang in the White House. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. And Anthony Benedetto. He grew up to be Tony Bennett, keeper of the American Songbook. But he's always said he has two careers. While Tony Bennett keeps singing, I want to be around to pick up the pieces. Anthony Benedetto is hard at work painting. Bennett, that is Benedetto, drops in on Kinsler's occasional master classes whenever he can. The angle of the needle, the light going through it, the cast shadow. Yeah, he taught me about painting. It's all in the light. You know, I was just watching your hand. You had your hand like that. And it was bright on one side and the other side was dark. He's hooked. The old quip was it takes two people to paint a picture, one guy to paint it and the other guy to hit him over the head when it's time to stop. Yeah, really. But In this case, I was that other guy. Whoa. That almost matches. Yeah, That's yeah. remarkable. I just love the way you left out the bottom of the jacket and the shirt. Well, thank you. I like it not only because of the conception with the, with the sun that he worked in and around you as part of it, but it's also very fresh. This is interview with Chuck Berry, roll two. Have mercy, I'm ready, man. Back when this explosion of popularity of rock and roll took place, you and a handful of other people, but, but mainly you, what was it that, that caused that to happen? Yeah, well, actually, they, they began to hear it, you see, because certain stations played certain music. The music that we, uh, the blacks, play, uh, the culture was so far apart once that we would have had to have a slave station in order to play it. As the cultures begin to come together and you begin to see one in another's uh, vein of life and so forth, then the music came together. I'm Anthony Mason. Hard to imagine Charles Osgood without an instrument close at hand. He's our very own music man, never failing to strike just the right note. For the past 22 years, Sunday morning hasn't needed a house band. You know the song? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. We had Charlie. He was his own accompanist. Even in his office, you could catch Charlie at the keyboards. You've been known to stop into the Steinway showroom from time to time. Yes, yes, indeed. Charlie, who owns three Steinways, fell in love with music hearing his mother play piano at home. Piano was your first instrument. Yes, well, a toy piano was my, was my first instrument. And I started playing by ear before I started taking lessons. Did you have musical aspirations? No, I, didn't, I never thought that I would be a professional pianist, and I don't think I could get the job being it <laughs> even today. But music's always had a leading role in his life. In 1955, when he was about to be drafted into the Army, he met an officer in dress blues. He said, I'm, this is, I'm a member of the United States Army Band. And I said, what instrument do you play? He said, I'm the announcer. Dong. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, when do you get out? And he said, next month. He saw a job opening. 
he would serve three years as the Army band's announcer. The president, who is making a rapid recovery... When President Eisenhower was recovering at Walter Reed Army Hospital, Charlie was enlisted as his personal disc jockey. I was put into a studio with a stack of records that had all been chosen as, as his favorites, and I spent most of the day playing records for Eisenhower. Charlie started writing songs, too. I don't think most people know that you had a top 40 hit. Well, it's, it's true, though. <laughs> Down through the years. Working with John Kakavas, who he'd met in the U.S. Army Band, he wrote a tribute to America's fighting forces that in 1966 was recorded by Senator Everett Dirksen. And he couldn't play anything, he couldn't sing anything, so he recited those lyrics. There have been men. Down through the years, there have been men, bold, gallant men, who have died that others might be free. That others might be free. By January 1967, gallant men had climbed to number 29, one spot above Wild Thing. What did you think as this thing started climbing the charts? Well, I was delighted. I think he was delighted, too. In the 60s, he also wrote a song called Black is Beautiful. Nancy Wilson recorded it and later sang it with him on Sunday morning. It's so beautiful, it makes you cry. As host of Sunday Morning, Charlie was able to explore his wildest musical fantasies. He performed at the Grand Ole Opry. and played banjo with the Boston Pops. He played the organ at Yankee Stadium. And other exotic <laughs> instruments. It's actually half a piano and half a zither. <laughs> well, you're, you're one of about 20 people who have played a dulciola. <laughs> I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And he'd end every Just year like with a Christmas carol, often solo, sometimes with special guests. Play along. Charles Osgood has always understood the enduring power of music at transitional moments in our lives, as he himself explained in a 1995 story on the anniversary of VE Day. With every parting, there was always the fear that it might be, the hope that it would not be the last parting. Maybe that is why the song that Vera Lynn used to sing became an anthem that even to this day can bring tears to the eyes of many an old soldier. So play it again, Charlie. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. And now, here with a tribute to Charles Osgood is the United States Army Band and Chorus. watching CBS the, the morning, uh, Sunday morning. I mean, that's not a show I expected to see dancing. Take a look at what he did. 
We're celebrating Charlie this Sunday morning. Elegance, graciousness, beautiful manners. Not the first three attributes we associate with TV news in the 21st century, which is one of the many reasons we are grateful to Charles Osgood. It starts with your voice, warm, crinkly, comforting, iconic. Your voice lulls one in, whether narrating a story or singing Christmas carols or reciting a little ditty. And I know a few things about voices. Yours is one of the best in broadcasting. And to borrow from the Saturday Night Live character, Linda Richmond, your voice, Charles Osgood, is like butter. For me and many others, though, the best is every time you sit at the piano and you share your thoughts in rhyme. A shame you're stepping down right now, because have you seen the news? The world is feeling darker lately. We could use a muse. I come back to that voice, which gives Sunday morning its music, its tempo, and its humanism. Maybe it's less folksy than it first seems. It leaves room for bitter irony, for recognition of all the world's horrors. But it also evokes a childlike sense of wonder and an unquenchable belief in the human capacity to grow and change. There are very few TV news icons whose stock and trade is reassurance that life will go on, that mankind will flourish. You are one of them, maybe the only one. It's been one of the great honors of my life to be in your chorus from time to time. In an age of us against them, you made us feel we were all in it together. What a gift that has been. You showed us how to be classy, kind, and earnest in an age of urgent intolerance and irony. On Sunday mornings, some people go to Mass, but they return home to you, bringing these stories to the Masses. Charlie, for 22 years, you've been the sun at the center of this show. Thanks for shining on all of us in your orbit. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charlie. Charlie, thank you. Smile and show your dimple. You'll find this very simple. I'm Martha Teichner. Where Charlie Osgood truly excels, I must say it is my sense, is in his use of what we call unbound poetic license. From down the hall, I decided to pay Charlie a friendly call. So, Charlie, hi. Hey, Martha. What's up? I have a question about poetry. First of all, I don't think what, uh, anything that I do is, uh, is poetry. I do rhymes. There are certain parts of London, if you're ever there at night, where the streets all seem to glow with a peculiar sort of light. A throwback to another time. Imagination quickens, and suddenly you're thinking of a Conan Doyle or Dickens. Rhymes like these he's famous for. When you hear iambic pentameter, you know what's in store. When it's time for Halloweening, there is one thing you should know. You should stay away from nut tree, that is, if you are a crow. For they go to endless trouble there to get crows off their backs, and to make crows feel unwelcome, and to give crows heart attacks. We actually had a death threat in the newsroom. Somebody called up and said, tell Osgood that if he does any, any more of those stupid poems, I'm going to kill him. From a colleague, a scent for this murderous intent. If somebody did kill him with one of those poems, he said it would be justifiable homicide. That's <laughs> so I'm, I'm always, I always feel as if it's sort of dangerous for me to do poetry. Dangerous in more ways than one. For example, this limerick that's racy fun. There once was a pretty young lass who held from the Bay State of Mass. She stepped into the bay on a fine summer day, the water right up to her knees. So it's funny, but it's not what you expect. And, and you laugh because you expected something else. And say, well, it, you know, that, it doesn't rhyme now, but it will when the tide comes in. Charlie's audience can bet money on his poems being funny. For example, the time he wrote about a lawsuit between the makers of yuck and the makers of slime. <laughs> Playing with something as wretched as slime, little kids have just a wonderful time. It wiggles and stretches, it's clammy and green. It's as drippy as anything you've ever seen. Some noise about toys. 
with a great punchline, I'll say. Don't let anyone tell you that slime does not pay. Ever heard of Apostle Q? It's an acronym now obsolete, but amusing to repeat. A person of opposite sex sharing living quarters from those Census Bureau people sorters. There's nothing that I wouldn't do if you would be my Apostle Q. You live with me and I with you, and you will be my Apostle Q. I'll be your friend and so much more. That's what Apostle Q is for. If his rhymes seem goofy, it could be because his inspiration is Dr. Susie. Nothing could be more enjoyable than reading his stuff. Then he heard it again, just a very faint yelp, as if some tiny person were calling for help. It's even true. He narrated Horton Hears a Who. It's like an earworm, one of those things that you hear a song and then you can't get it, get it out of your head. Charlie's poems are like that, too. Why? Well, here's a clue. Well, as a member of the Academy of American Poets, I happen to have a poetic license. Anybody could do it if they wanted to. But they don't, and probably won't. Who else with such zeal would rhyme about great-grandma Lucille? 89 years of age is Lucille, but she says you are only as old as you feel. Want to see what Lucille is now able to do? These are one-inch pine boards, not just one board, but two. So here's to Charlie, our resident wit, TV's Poet Laureate. Charlie, let me just say it to you this way. I've seen every one of your shows for the last 22 years. I know it's a great show. You're a great host. It will continue to be a great show. My son, who is 12 years old, Sunday morning, he says, is it time for the CBS Sunday morning show? And I say, yes, it is. He turns it right on. So on behalf of my son and myself, we'll see you on the radio, pal. I'm Mo Rocca, and you, our faithful viewers, have had a lot to say about Charlie's bow ties over the years. Yes, when it comes to commanding that most distinctive of neckwear, we all know that there's only one true master. You've got some beautiful ones here. I've got a lot of ties, you know. There's, there's some right there. Oh, I love that one. And there's some here. You've got a whole drawer down there. Boy, look at them. Try picturing Charles Osgood without a bow tie. This would look good with this shirt and jacket. And it just seems, I like these from your psychedelic period. <laughs> Incomplete. We will catch you up on the box scores and take a peek at the weather. We'll have those stories and more. But first, here are the headlines for this Sunday morning, the 31st of December. Through the decades, he's worn a kaleidoscopic variety of bow ties that have captivated fans and colleagues alike. I've always wanted to do something as a reporter, okay? Okay. It's real. It, it, is, real. it is not a clip-on. The tie is real, just like the man. Everybody in 1992, he was positively undone by his morning news co-host, Meredith Vieira. Is it a real bow tie? Do you mind? Can I and in 2011, Charlie tied one on with comedian Jimmy Fallon. That's the joke. Oh, so it might surprise you that Charlie hasn't always worn a bow tie. When did you put on your first bow tie? It was to do a weekend broadcast. Good evening, I'm Charles Osgood, and this is the CBS Sunday Night News. It was back in the 1980s, at the suggestion of a producer, that Charlie and his signature sartorial accessory tied the knot. Don't forget that you need 22 cents postage now. You do realize that people are very into your bow ties. Well, enough so that I, I now, if I'm going to make an appearance anywhere, uh, I, I, I almost always wear a bow tie. I think you're great, but you without a bow tie is a little bit of a letdown. It's not what you expected. People say, you know, I can't get away with wearing a bow tie. 
I didn't know it was against the law. But for a time at CBS, it was something of a law that Charlie and only Charlie wear a bow tie. Somebody put pineapple juice in my pineapple juice. <laughs> when former CBS anchor Harry Smith began co-hosting CBS this morning, he innocently showed up in a bow tie. Howard Stringer was then the president of CBS News, and we were doing a camera test or whatever, and I had on a bow tie. And there was Charles Osgood with a bow tie. And he says, no, not two guys with bow ties on TV. This news organization's not big enough for two guys with bow ties. No, not on morning TV. What has Charlie Osgood done for the bow tie? Well, you know, he's a proud emblem. It's an absolute accompaniment to all that he is. They say that perfect is the enemy of good. That's certainly true when it comes to bow ties. What do you think of this bow tie? I think it's a nice bow tie. But? A little too perfect. But that doesn't mean necessarily mean that it's a pre-tied tie. Do you doubt that I tied this myself? I don't doubt it. I'll unfurl mine if you unfurl yours. Okay. All right. <laughs> now let's see if we retie them. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say that. It's not a competition. Hell, it isn't. All right, <laughs> let's go. We're on. There. I just find it so hard to put, to find the right hole. But you can fuss with it. No, yours looks, looks, I like that. Now the most important question of all, how good do we look? I think we look pretty damn good. When I heard that you were leaving, I thought, well, maybe, maybe there's a place for me on CBS Sunday morning. And then I realized that there are certain requirements that you have to be aware of. And I didn't know whether I could get those requirements done. Oh, hell, Charles, I can't do this. <laughs> You're a master at everything you do, including tying a bow tie. And I wish you all the very best. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Celebrating Charlie, a special edition of Sunday Morning. Here is Lee Cowan. Half a world away from the studio in New York is Charles Osgood's other world. It's his home away from home. And what a home it is. When Charles Osgood invited us to his picture postcard home in the south of France, the one with the sun made of stone in the driveway, and the stunning Mediterranean views, it was both a generous and intimidating offer. After all, how do you sit across from your boss, let alone the newsman you grew up watching, and ask him about a career that's lasted as long as you've been alive. Do you remember the first piece he did for television? No. <laughs> <laughs> Truth is, he made the conversation easy, like he does with all conversations, even when he was correcting me on the art of writing. There's a big difference between the right word and the wrong word. <laughs> well, all the words are wrong except for the right one. His style, his manner, his curiosity are as fresh as the grapes hanging in his garden. These are descended from grapes that were here for 100 years. Were they really? But, but, uh, but they're, they're good to eat. Yeah? Do you eat them a lot? Just passing through. <laughs> <laughs> but little has satisfied his professional palate more than his Emmy-winning run at Sunday morning. A lot of television is about uh, ratings. But I don't like to think of it as ratings. I like to think of it as people watching the show and getting some satisfaction out of it and learning something and, and not having something, you know, forced down their throats. You love it, don't you? I do. I cannot think of anything that has given me more pleasure professionally than Sunday morning because, first of all, it feels great to be part of something that people love, and I know that they do. He loved it so much, he rarely took time off. But when he did, he came here. And why wouldn't he? 
It's a place where leisure is cherished, not something you squeeze into two weeks around national holidays. It's very seductive here. It also encourages you to be a bit lazy. In a good way. You, you tend to get up late and eat too much and drink too much. <laughs> Jean, Charlie's wife, is his ever-present companion. You almost can't just put your you mouth on it. You almost need to eat it with a fork, Colin. <laughs> Oops, there well, it goes. There it goes, okay. Do you have a routine here? There are a couple of naps involved. There's one, one nap usually after lunch. <laughs> And, and that lasts right up until cocktail time. So the day sort of slips away. <laughs> there is, of course, the piano. His concert grand piano that occupies his time and most of the living room. And not a bad view from the piano bench to look out onto the Mediterranean. Yes, that's, that's right. And there are French songs that are written about this very view. But one French song is... La mer, de he bought that Steinway from CBS back when it owned Columbia Records. And it's a historic piano indeed. La mer. This is the piano that Glenn Gould used for his first recording of the Goldberg Variations. Wow. It was used for Frank Sinatra songs. Mitch Miller also used it for every one of his Sing Along with Mitch records. This piano? This, this is the one. Outdoors, flowers bloom at every corner, surrounding his pool with a fragrance and a color that are pretty hard to beat. It's here Charlie and Jean work off the calories from the brie and the baguettes. They do it together, like they've done everything. Do you remember your first date? I do. Yeah? But that depends on what you call a date. <laughs> because the first time you ever asked me to go someplace, you wanted me to go to a basketball game. That's what you asked her out to first? Yes. Wasn't that romantic of me? <laughs> <laughs> and I... Did you say but, yes? No. I, I said <laughs> See, something... I think she, she had to arrange her sock drawer. <laughs> <laughs> He must have done something right. They've been married now for 42 years. They have five kids and three grandchildren. Was there one piece of advice that your dad gave you guys that has really stuck with you? Eat more ice cream. <laughs> it's hard even for Charlie to get the whole family together, but we managed to gather three of the kids. He's a warm and friendly... Jamie, and kind. Definitely Annie, warm. and Winston in his New York apartment. That persona that he is on television encapsulates them pretty, pretty well. They loved growing up with their dad's passion for baseball, his knowledge of history, and their home being full of music. He's always playing the piano. I mean, yeah. he... Always. Oh, always. always. I always mean, if in the there's, background. Yeah, there's always... A soundtrack. Uh, right. Dad was always playing the piano or, or the banjo. What was that like? Like, you'd bring friends over and your dad would oh, just Oh, it's be... totally embarrassing. Your dad <laughs> is sitting around in a his robe playing the banjo. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not cool when you're, yeah. when you're 12 or 13. And then he would start singing, and that and was then, just too much. Right. <laughs> what was cool? Their dad's skills in the kitchen. We had our own Sunday morning routine where our dad would make us pancakes for breakfast. And so that went away when Sunday morning started. And frankly, I'm relieved that this chapter of his life is over so that we can kind of bring that routine back into our lives. Get back pancakes again? Have not yeah. had a decent pancake in 22 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that their dad's work is done, however. Charlie, we're ready here. Okay, good. In fact, Charlie is not really retiring. The Osgood file. This is Charles Osgood. He'll still be on the radio, mostly from New York. The Osgood file. This is Charles Osgood. The Department but of Veterans also Affairs when he's here in France. He built a makeshift American studio down in his basement. The reality, though, his life will be different after today in all sorts of yet-to-be-determined ways. So what's it going to be like for you, Gene, to hear Charlie say see on the radio for the last time? Well, that's all right, because it means he'll be here more, won't it? <laughs> Not a bad place to turn a page. What's the one thing you'd want people to know about the next chapter in your life? 
I don't even know myself what the, what the next chapter in, in my life is going to be, but, but I will have a little more time, you know, without a doubt, to, you know, to be with Jean and with the kids and the grandkids and the friends that you have. And it's, it's like asking somebody when they're dying, <laughs> whether you're ready for this. <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I want there to be a, mor- a tomorrow. And there, there, and there will be. Just different tomorrows. That's right. Good morning. Je suis Charlie. I am Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday morning. Given the terrible events in Paris at the magazine Charlie Hebdo this past week, that seems only right. We can add the name Columbia now to our list of terrible shared national events. And we can add the names and faces of the seven lost crew members of the shuttle Columbia to our space exploration roll of honor. If you have not already heard the sad news, it is our duty this morning to report that Princess Diana is dead. Five days after the terrorist attack, you can see, hear, and feel America rising. I'm Bill Geist. There's just no telling what kind of story Charlie will make his own. I'll show you what I mean. The Yanks are the champs now, two years in a row. Though the West Coast may perceive them as foul beasts with hearts of onyx, the Yankees are well thought of here. Beloved in the Bronx. Did you imagine that you were a natural for television when you first started doing that show? I'm a natural ham when it helps a lot. I'm already... She is a natural ham. With a deep love and knowledge of French cooking and a wonderful sense of humor that brought haute cuisine down to earth. It's not one of our better examples of crepes. So I think I'll take it out and say goodbye. I'm sure that when people see Julia Child having something like that happen, in a way it reassures them. doesn't no, I, mean I that they're... I think they're delighted. <laughs> yes, I think so, too. something happens like that. Remember, you are alone in the kitchen. Yes. <laughs> we expect the trucks to be a little hard on our highways. I mean, after all, we're not still in the horse and buggy days. Well, right here, these still are the horse and buggy days. This is Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, Amish country. Napoleon Bonaparte. At 73, Senator Moynihan is a genuine intellectual. You have a background of intellect and erudition that doesn't fit the image of of a politician. Did Hamilton, uh, as it were, did did Madison, did Jefferson, did the people who started this country think you shouldn't read books? So, on the whole, if there's anything to this reincarnation business, you could do a lot worse than to come back as Secretariat. Secretariat leads field by 18 lengths. No other horse is even close. This is the pits. I mean, this is really the pits. It's very loud here. You can hardly hear yourself think. That's because people yell a lot here. They yell all the time. While the history of man may be written in division and conflict, there is part of us that gets pleasure out of making not trouble, but harmony. We kind of miss those good old songs. These days, perhaps you've noticed as you watch the TV screen, there are often many things at once competing to be seen. While someone like me is talking, hoping to be understood, the chance of understanding, I'm afraid, is not too good. If below the person speaking, and above his or her head, and to either side, there's other information to be read, about the time and temperature and latest market quotes, the price of gold and traffic and upcoming program notes. Well, I think the TV gimmick that I dislike most of all is that little moving sign below referred to as a crawl, which moves in from the right, and comprehension thus depends on the viewer's eye and must be followed till each sentence ends. And the poor old talking anchor person stands no chance at all. He or she might just as well be talking to the wall. When the screen's completely cluttered, I suspect that you will find there is likely to be corresponding clutter in the mind. So here on Sunday morning, this is something you won't see. Or if it happens, no one ever mentions it to me. I've known Charlie for more than 53 years now, and I have to reveal to you that our friend has not been entirely honest with you. It's the thing about his legal name. It's not really Charlie Osgood. He should have told you himself, but he hasn't. He didn't, so it falls to me to do it for him. And I'm going to try and do it in the fashion that he could have or should have done it himself. Inverse.
I admit that it's slightly uncouth to remind an old man of his youth, but in our case it's fair, because, you know, I was there and we're both getting on. That's the truth. You might think that a person could claim to be able to use his own name. Charlie thought that he could use his name, which was Wood, but he couldn't. Please let me explain. This is Charles Osgood for ABC's Flair Reports. For those who appear on the air, a name is a thing you can't share. Back in June 63, this was on ABC, Charles Woods had it first, fair and square. So our Charlie thought he'd exhume Grandpa's name as his nom de plume. All the glory and fame now reflect on that name. The Osgood File. This is Charles Osgood. I'm Charles Osgood. I'm Charles Osgood. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. More than half of a century's passed. Who'd have thought that the new name would last? But it has, and I'm sure that the name will endure since the old one has long been outclassed. So it's Charlie, who got there too late for his own name to still resonate, whose incomparable style, the beloved Osgood file, has evolved into our Charles the Great. He'll be missed. It is surely a blow to lose someone we've gotten to know year by year, on and on. But he'll never be gone. We'll see him on the old radio. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, there he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all, Good night. I've always loved the idea of sharing a stage with the Boston Pops Orchestra, as we did in this performance of The Night Before Christmas back in 2003. So I'm very grateful that five of my friends from the Pops, the Boston Cello Quartet, plus my cousin, bassist Larry Wolf, are here to share this stage with me. I've sung this song, but I'll sing it again. I knew I'd be leaving, but I didn't know when. After 22 years, today is the day. It's my last Sunday morning. What more can I say except so long it's been good to know you. So long it's been good to know you. So long it's been good to know you. What a long time since I've been home and I've got to be drifting along my CBS news colleagues you are the best you've taught me a lot and I know I've been blessed as for all of you viewers please know that it's true I'm going to miss Sunday mornings with you so long it's been good to know you so long it's been good to know you so long it's been good to know you been a long time since i've been home and i've got to be drifting along Charles, thank you for 22 years of broadcasting excellence. My Sunday morning hangover won't be the same without you. Charlie, congrats on an amazing 22 years. Thanks so much. I'll see you on the radio. Charlie, thanks for a great 50 years here at CBS. All the best. See you on the radio. Sunday morning has been, without a doubt, the most satisfying 22 years of my life in broadcasting. Right now, I'm proud to tell you that my successor will be someone we all know and think the world of. Jane Pauley, congratulations and welcome. Thank you so much, Charlie. I am honored beyond words to follow in your footsteps. But enough about me. I have news about your bow tie. The bow tie you are wearing right now is bound for the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History in Washington. 
where it will join the original stopwatch of our sister broadcast, 60 Minutes, as part of its permanent collection. Proof, as if anyone needed it, that you have made broadcast history. Congratulations. And please don't be a stranger. I promise. I'm Charles Osgood. We'll be off next Sunday morning so that CBS Sports can bring you a special presentation of the NFL from London. Please join Jane Pauley here again in two weeks. As for me, I will see you on the radio. I want to thank you all in our wonderful audience, and I also want to thank all these people. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.